Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this special, eerie Friday the 13th episode of Puck and Roll. Ensue evil laughter. Turn on your lights. Hide your children. <laughs> and my name is Patrick Lorty. I am your gracious host. So tonight on the panel, we've got Scott Cowan, Sam Mendelson, and Joshua Rosa. Good day, gentlemen. Good day, good day. Good day. Hello, 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 hello. We're gonna go right into a uh, well, a topic that's been starting to pop up a little bit ever on social media. I, I guess it's a little, it's it's a little bit sensitive just because of you know who's involved and whatnot. And that topic is going to be the Montreal Canadiens captaincy. Now, we do know that Shea Weber is not going to be playing in twenty one twenty two. There has been speculation that his career might be over. There's also been speculation that the Canadians might pull a Kucherov and bring him back for the playoffs. That's another debate for another day. But now I am going to pass the puck directly to our friend Sam. And I'm going to ask you the question directly to you, sir. Will the Canadians name a new captain as long as Shea Weber is under contract, of course? And if so, who will it be? Well, first of all, I, I love the idea of this topic because it's it's up to interpretation. Uh, first things first, I'm going to just say for next year alone, there will be no captaincy. They'll row the three captains. Uh, they did it in the past when Shea was out. Um, yeah. but I'm talking like, I know the guy, Shay, my boy, you know, Weber, uh, <laughs> big, big mountain over there, as I like to call mountain him. man. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think just for next year, they won't give a captain out. Uh, but I do think that whenever news comes out about Shay Weber, whether he's officially retired, unless I hear a written statement. Uh, or he, he does a, an, a, a conference, a press conference, and says that he is retired, I think that's when the Canadians will 
decide who their next captain is. Now, that's the first part of the question, or the first part of my answer, I should say. The second part of the answer is, who will that next captain be? And there's no one more serving and more deserving than number 11, my boy, Brendan Gallagher. Everything that the Canadians stood for last year, the grit, the soul, the passion, Excuse me, I got, I got a little choked up there, Brendan. If you're listening, the out emotions, there, I got a little Sam, choked eh? up because <laughs> when I start, when I watch you come out, uh, you know, and start playing for the Canadians and wear that CH with pride, I knew then and there that this is a guy that could be a captain down the road. Now, obviously, Braun Shea Weber, and there, there's no arguing about his pedigree and what he's able to bring, not just from uh, a leadership level, both both on and off the ice, but just the amount of gravitas that he carries in the locker room when he talks everyone listens and you know Gallagher has been around the team for a long time I believe he's on his third contract Scott I know you're going to correct me on that one but I think it's his third contract or third official contract after he signed his rookie deal so I could be wrong on that so don't you can fact check me if you want to but I think that Brandon Gallagher has proven time and time again actually Sam you're you're absolutely correct he's on his third contract I can confirm that okay good job job, buddy thank you for for chiming in there Patrick I I, I know stuff I'm not I'm not just a pretty face but (laughs) obviously you can't hear it as as just audio it's not a video oh no ladies and gentlemen Sam Bindelson is a handsome boy I could tell you well no, I like to toot, I like to toot my own horn because no, I have no one else that does it for me. So, uh, you know, pumping the brakes on that and going back to Galley, I think that you know when I see, see this guy take a, a broken hand, and you know, the only question with Brendan Gallagher is can he stay in the lineup? He seems to be always around the net, which we know we love from Brendan Gallagher, but he always gets hurt, whether it's a shot or you know he gets cross checked uh, against Philadelphia in the playoffs. There's so many things that happen. When I looked at him and I saw that blood dripping down his face in this postseason run, I forget what series it was in. I think it was Vegas. I could be Tampa Bay, but I think it was Tampa Bay actually in the finals. And he's got the blood dripping down, heart of a warrior, heart of a champion. That's the guy I want to lead the Canadians into the future. I think he's young enough that he can be there for quite some time. And so I'm going to just go with number 11, Brendan Gallagher. He already wears an A most times anyway, so why not just make it a C? Let me uh, interject one second and rewind a little bit. When you were talking about his health, right? He always seems to be injured once in a while, but that just comes with the style of play, right? Now, uh, take into consideration that this year is the first year of his big contract. Six and a half million for six years until the 26-27 season. Full no trade clause, full no movement clause. He is not going anywhere unless he wants to. Now, he is... 29 years old and he you know he's had more than one injury he's got some serious injuries a lot with his hands his wrist etc now do you take the risk of actually putting the c on someone who might not be able to play 82 games a year or do you say hmm okay you know what we're going to maybe give it on 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 another type of leader and you know someone like Jeff Petrie for example who I think on a short term could be a great captain and then you kind of can you kind of just set the stage for someone in 2 3 years for someone like Nick Suzuki who seems to be a very popular uh, choice for a future captain or do you just say you know what Gally's been with us forever uh he's the heart and soul of this team let's just you know go th- go through thick and thin with him the same way we did with uh with Weber I think that when you're playing professional hockey or any professional sport, there is a chance of injuries. Gallagher's had his fair share. We, we can all admit that. 
I don't think that diminishes his resume, what he brings on the ice, his attitude in the locker room, his post-game conferences that are just about, you know, I don't care what role I'm in, what position I'm in. I just want to win. And to see the emotion and, and, I mean, we were, all the players were emotional, but for Gallagher to come out after the game five loss in the cup final against Tampa Bay and see that emotion, see that choked up, that to me is, is the guy I want leading to the Canes into the future. Yeah, he leaves his heart on the ice, man. Yeah. I'll totally agree with you on that's that. That's what guy. I want. Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing is, like Gallagher, and like this is a completely non agreeable point I find to mention that Gallagher should be named captain because for all that he's done for this team and for the fact that he's stuck with this team and through his extension that he chose to resign with the Canadians and that he really truly wants to play here he's done a lot for the city beyond just his contributions on the ice and he's sort of given this city a, a true player to root for along with Shea Weber now while I do think that going into the next season Weber should remain or should the captaincy shouldn't be awarded to anyone else I mean Weber got the icebreaker for us in the conference finals and for all we for all we know that might be the final goal he scores on NHL ice so I feel like he still deserves that honor for everything that he gave to us this past season to still be in that captaincy spot for next season. But should was credited, I'm going to completely agree with you and, and say that Gallagher, I think, should be named captain. He's given his heart and soul to this team, and I think he deserves to be rewarded for it. Josh, what do you think? Well, on the point of Gallagher's injuries, the nice, <clears throat> the nice thing about his injuries, if you could call them nice, is that they're all kind of a point of contact injury they're not like a structural knee problem or a hip problem that he's going to aggravate it's getting the it's going to the front of the net and getting the puck on the hand kind of thing from a slap shot it's not something that you really have to worry about long term you'd like to have them not happen anymore but then you're neutering his greatest strength of tenacity going to the middle of the net so yeah there's no question that Gallagher is going to be the next captain it's just going to be a question of when I think without knowing Shea Weber it's going to be up to him if he feels that he could come back I think he's going to want to keep the C but if he's saying that he's not seeing a future if he wants he can say just give it to Brendan Gallagher or give it to him for a year and see where it goes from there. But it's the respect that he holds. It's going to be up to Shea Weber, what he wants to do with it. So uh, the general consensus in the popular consensus that, okay, Galley's going to get the C. Now, Sam mentioned earlier, um, it's not most likely not going to happen this year because if it would, it would probably would have, it would have been announced by now. Um, you know, we're going to be having, you know, an all, uh, three alternates. I'm pretty sure the third alternate is going to rotate. I'm pretty sure every network is going to see Petrie and Galley uh, with the A. I'm guessing some nights it's going to be Byron, maybe other nights it's they're, they're going to hit and maybe give it to maybe like Josh, someone like Josh Anderson or Tyler Toffoli, depending on you know who has really risen up in the in the locker room. The question is at the same time, I mean, as long as Shea Weber is under contract, there's always you know that little thought being like you got to respect the fact that he's captain. So do you officially name a captain, let's say beyond this year, or do you pull something, you know, uh, that well, we haven't seen since I think 89, 90 and have co-captains. You know, remember for, for, for no, for listeners of a certain age, you know, we had Chris Chills and Guy Carboneau who were co-captains, you know, it didn't necessarily work out. You know, there's a bunch of stories behind that. Google it, you know, you'll see. But um, do we say, okay, well, you know what? We're going to name an interim captain, so to speak. Or do we just say, listen, uh, Shay, 
thank you very much for everything. We know you're going to be on the men. So now we're just going to move on to someone else. We need new leadership. We're just going to stick it directly on someone like Gallagher. Sam, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the point I made, which was until I hear an announcement from the team or Shea himself, um, I don't see that happening this year. There will be no co-captaincy going forward. The Montreal Canadiens, you guys have to remember, I mean, you, you brought up that one moment, which Carboneau and Chelios, I don't think that really went well, uh, as we all are aware of from that history. Yeah, I was, di- I was digging pretty deep, I admit. You know? Yeah, you were, but pretty, it was just, you were yeah. digging deep. It, you know what? It didn't even work when Vancouver put Luongo as a goalie. Would no, I give it no. to Price? Probably, if, if, if goalies could come out and argue calls. I, I just think that a, a, a captain has to be the guy who's, on the bench and rallying his troops. And, you know, I'm not going to curse, but there was a moment where I think it was game two or game three of the Stanley Cup finals and the camera was on Galley and he said, you know, let's just get F in one more boys. Like, you know, that's a guy who they listen to him. He's been around with the team, you know, a couple other points I just want to make. I think a couple of the injuries, I know one for sure, maybe two of those injuries, as Josh alluded to, there were the contact injuries came from a Shea Weber shot. So the fact that Shea Weber won't be on the ice might be something that will benefit Brendan Gallagher. <laughs> but we, we saw we saw him take that. Um, I believe it was Niskanen against Philadelphia that dirty cross check. Yep. He gets under the players' skins. I mean that's that's Galley's game. Um, so I really think that um, you know the Montreal Canadiens are historic franchise to go co-captaincy or to go with the goalie as the captain, which you know you could definitely say Carey Price deserves to be the captain, but he's one of those guys who. He he he, play, he leaves it on the ice, and people could see in the workroom and or the workout room and and on the ice that he carries himself. They don't need to put a C on his on his jersey because they know who he is. He's one of the best goalies of this generation, and I just think you know you look at the homegrown talent. I mean, I I was there in Montreal when they announced at the golf tournament. I was at that golf uh, charity golf tournament where they announced Patch Reddy with the C. And I didn't really like it, but I didn't know who else they were going to give it to. I thought maybe PK because he meant so much to the community and he was donating millions of dollars to the hospital. You know, you look before that, it was Gianta. You know, I really, and, and I think with Shea Weber, he came in and just because his pedigree was Shea Weber and Olympic champion, and, and he was one of the best defensemen at the time, uh, you know, you kind of had to give it to him. He had that captaincy and there was still kind of that, you know, what kind of team are we? We had Galchenyuk. Are we, are we rebuilding? Where do we really see ourselves? You look at Brendan Gallagher, and I think back to Saka Koiba, who, in my opinion, in my lifetime, was probably the best captain that I ever saw. A home, not homegrown that he was born in Montreal, but they drafted him. They, they built him through the ranks. He's been with the team. He's seen the ups. He's seen the downs. He's seen the, 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 the success of getting to a cup final, the losing to the, in Tampa Bay last year. There's, you know, we, I'll put this out to the panel. I don't know who else you can pick. I love Nick Suzuki, but I don't think he's that guy just yet. And I think Gallagher at 29, entering his first of six years, as Patrick mentioned, is the right choice. Yeah, the the, the thing that, uh, that you point, one, uh, it's really important to point that out because, you know, um, not since, you know, Saku Koivu have we had someone that was actually, you know, groomed, so to speak, 
to become the captain and know he was drafted here, not since Guy Carboneau for that matter, you know, where he had Bob Ganey with him to help him out and everything. Now with Gallagher, you know, exactly. He went through thick and thin. He went through the bad years also with the Habs and then coming in and he saw guys like Gianta and Weber and Eric Stahl, who used to be captain in Carolina. He just got Corey Perry, who was considered a a big, a big leader. And, you know, a a little, um, and I'll send it to, to Scott uh, after this. Um, a little note as well is that the presence of Alex Burroughs behind the bench, where if you guys remember when he was in Vancouver, um, he played the same style as, as Brennan Gallagher. You know, he's crashing into the net. He's chirping his mouth up. He's rah, rah, rah behind the bench and everything. Uh, similar players, similar stats for that matter, if I, if I recall correctly. So there's someone who could actually be like, you know, tell them, okay, like here, you know, you could do this. You cannot do that. And et cetera, et cetera. Um, Scott, I'm going to send it over to you. What do you, th- what do you, what do you think? I definitely agree with your uh, sort of what you said about Burroughs and Gallagher and their similar play styles. I don't know if they have similar play styles. They came from similar walks of life in terms of where their career started. A lot of people don't know this about Alexander Burroughs, but his, his start to his career was he started at the lowest possible low you could. He was a fourth liner in the ECHL when he started his career, and he signed three consecutive ECHL contracts before signing a deal with the Vancouver Canucks AHL team, which eventually led into his contract with the Canucks. So definitely I agree with what you said there about sort of Burroughs having the same mentality and having the same style of play. Gallagher, which will definitely help come next season. And I'm just going to go back to what I said earlier. I just think that Gallagher is the player that the Canadians should make captain of whatever goes away because I feel like he's the guy who's worked the hardest for the team and he's given the most to the team. Yes, I know that he's had his history with injuries and things like that, but he's proved that he can still play through it and his style of play lends well to it and could kind of work in tandem with it in a way. And he was able to rebound from them pretty well, even with two broken hands, limiting him to just 10 goals in a loss. I believe it was the 2017-18 season. Oh, no, excuse me. It was the 2015-16 season when he only had 10 goals. And even then, he was still able to rebound, put up 31 goals for us in 2017-18, and he's just continue to improve since then. So, yeah, I think Gallagher is honestly a lock to be the captain for now. And maybe down the line, who knows? Maybe a guy like Nick Suzuki could find his way into that captaincy and he could get that veteran leadership. And who knows? Maybe Mike Hoffman will be our captain one day. I mean, anything can happen <laughs> at this point. But, yeah, <laughs> I feel like um, with everything that I've that Gallagher has brought to this city and to this team, I feel like he is the player who has earned the right to be captain. On a more serious note... <laughs> uh josh uh let's let's do a quick recap so we were questioning who should be the next canadians captain and when um seems that everyone has the same opinion it's going to be get brendan gallagher it's not going to happen this year might happen next year do you think you know what like history is kind of set in stone here or maybe there's going to be a surprise candidate somewhere or it's going to be like yeah forget it we 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 rent we went around the barn a few times you know we're gonna have three assistants this year gallagher is going to be going to be named the season after and then we're just going to run with that until the nice guy comes around i think the nice thing about this team right now is that they just went to the cup final they're a young team but they've got the experience so they don't really need the big captain to be the leader they've all got experience you could see how well they bonded together when everyone was celebrating that Vegas win it's this is a team that's grown together and they don't really I feel need the big captain right now they can roll with three assistants for a year or two and be fine and then who knows like I'd love I love Brendan Gallagher I think he's going to be the captain but also a name uh Caden Gooley a lot of people are talking about him being captain material, very similar to Shea Weber and his leading. Yeah, style. we're that actually going to be future. We're actually going to be talking about Gooley a little later on during this show. Sorry, continue. No, oh, yeah. So it, it's 
I think Gallagher is a great guy. He's going to be captain, but then into after Gallagher, it's going to be interesting to see if Suzuki takes the step up or if there's going to be Gooley or Caulfield or any of these young guys, Kotkaniemi can step up and become captain. It'll be fun in future. Yeah. And, and I, I like what you say about, you know, we don't need a big captain. You know, they say like everyone has worked as a team as we saw the last playoffs and everything. And Sam, for the last couple of minutes that we have for this segment, I'm going to ask you directly. Um, I mean, does this seem like a team, though, that can continue on the same? I would say, I don't know, for lack of a lead, like leadership stretch, for lack of a better term. Now that, you know, we lost Corey Perry, who was a huge part of this of this leadership group. Uh, Eric Stahl is nothing to trifle with, despite him having a you know, rather forgettable run in Montreal. Um, forget Merrill and Gustafson. They were, you know, like, but what do you think? I mean, like, it, like I want you to expand a little bit on, jo- on what, what Josh was saying. Do you agree or disagree that, hey, you know what? We don't need that big captain. We got a, we got a strong enough leadership core to say, we go what it takes and let's just run with it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Josh, you know, kudos to you that you're thinking about 10, 15 years down the road. I mean, I, I was talking about Ken Gould being the captain for Team Canada with the Bull Juniors. You're saying, well, he's got captaincy material. Okay. Pump the brakes, Josh. Just hold it down. You know, that, that's a conversation for 2030 at least. Um, but, you know, all kidding aside, I think what we saw from this team was the real amazing balance of the veterans in Weber, in Perry, in Stahl, and the young guys of Suzuki, Caulfield, that really ignite that team, that give that fuse, that energy, where guys were playing out of their minds. And and Corey Perry and Armia and Stahl had some amazing games, whether it was against Toronto or Winnipeg or even Vegas. I mean, uh, you know, they were outstanding. And I don't think the fact that those some of those guys are gone, I think Shea Weber's absence is going to be felt a little bit. But this is a team that you heard it. And and to know, I, I honestly, you know, we, we haven't talked about to know and the fact that he was a big part to, you know, just those little pizza postgame press conferences after a series win. I mean, the guys loved him. I mean, he talked about yeah, uh, Caulfield and they gave him props and props says, yeah, you, you're, you're pretty good too. You might not put the puck in the net, but you're doing everything else. And I think that you saw these guys really mature and grow much more than they would have had they got out in the first round or not made the playoffs. And I think that it's an established group. You have championship pedigrees in Tyler Toffoli and Edmondson. You bring in David Savard, who's won a cup. You bring in Paquette. You bring in guys that I think, you know, Joel Edmondson, Jake Allen. I think there's a lot of guys that have been through the ring or have won Stanley Cups. These guys have played for the most part, I'd probably say, what, 85, 90% of the team is remaining. You take Weber, Perry, Deneau out, uh, Eric Stahl, who I, I guess was a throw-in, but those three guys who were there all season, you know, take those guys out. They, they were a big part of the team, but they left an imprint on these guys that I think that is just going to start carrying over into this season. And that's why when we had this whole conversation last uh, last week with, with Elias about – are they a playoff team? And he was the only one that said no. And I'm just bringing it back. So if people didn't hear, you should go back and listen to last week's podcast. There's a reason this team is built to, to contend is because they have the mentality from the leadership that was there that may not be there, but they have that imprint of 
being a winning team and knowing what it takes to win. And that's why I think that, you know, you ride the three A's. You brought up Jeff Petrie, Patrick. I think he's another outstanding candidate, but I just don't think he's, you know, the type of candidate that I would choose instead of Brandon Gallagher. But him, Sherrod on the back end, Savard coming in. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that I think are, are quality locker room guys and the leadership is not going to be a problem. Thank you very much, Sam. It's um, very, very glad, uh, you know, that we actually agree on this. I mean, uh, honestly, like, I think we got a, a really, really exciting team ahead of us. And uh, you guys are all absolutely right. I mean, uh, there's a lot of underrated leadership and you don't necessarily have to wear a letter on your jersey in order to be a leader, especially in a franchise as um you know, respectable and historical for that matter as the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, guys, thank you very much for this segment. I want to give a special thank you to Sam Mendelson for joining us for this one. Sam, always a pleasure, man. Thanks a bunch. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, the Prospect Heroes. Scott uh, Cowan and Sebastian. Hi. Normally it is the Scott and Sebastian show. Sebastian, unfortunately, uh, not here. Well, I say unfortunately, but the guy's on vacation, man. The guy needs a break. So, you know, let him have, have his fun. So, but however, Sebastian being the very dedicated man that he is, actually sent us um, a quick uh, profile on Kaden Gooley. And uh, which is very interesting considering that Josh earlier was mentioning that Kaden Gooley is a top candidate to become the captain for Team Canada, the next uh, the World Juniors. So uh, let's uh, let's hear what uh, Sebastian has to say about that. Aiden Gooley is a really interesting case. His name has been making the rounds recently uh, because of the possibility of him uh, captaining the Canadian World Juniors team, which makes a lot of sense considering he uh, is already the captain of the Prince Albert Raiders, and he was last season, even though he only played two games. And he is just known for being a really great leader. And he's a, he, he's a player that, because uh, he, he was drafted a year ago, and it was a draft that I was really paying attention to. It was really the first draft that I was really analyzing deeply going into it. And um, he was the second highest name left on my board when Montreal picked. The only player I was higher on than Gouli that was left uh, was actually Maverick Bork, who fell to Dallas at 30, which I th- still think is absurd. Um, but I... I did always like Gooley, and he's, he's not necessarily a player that is beloved um, analytically. At least he wasn't um, in his draft year. Um, and I really do put a lot of emphasis on analytics because it, it, it shows what happens when a player's on the ice, which is obviously very important. Um, and I test people always love Gooley because he's, uh, he's really big, right? He's like six foot three. He is heavy, um, and he's like a great skater. Like he, like, phenomenal mobility for his size, or actually, for his size, like makes it sound like try like, almost minimizes it. He is just a phenomenal skater as is, and he is a player that I always enjoyed watching. Like um, I watched probably like seven or eight of his games um, going into his draft, and I loved watching him it's 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 really 
Like, he's a really, really fun defender to watch because he's phenomenal at defending the rush. Like, his his transition defense is already above NHL average for a defenseman, if you ask me. Um, and he, he, he showed that in his three games with the Laval Rocket uh, last season. He was the best transition defender on that team, from, from what I saw. And he, he uses his, his skating ability to close gaps uh, when like in the neutral zone and entering the blue line. And his stick work is phenomenal uh, in those kind of, kinds of situations. And, yeah, like his speed, everything, like his entire toolkit, he uses to its maximum potential when he's defending the transition. He's also a pretty good, like, in-zone defender. So he, he, he's good on the PK because um, he has an active stick, big body. He can, like... Think like Sherratt or Edmondson, um, like in terms of like in zone defense, right? Like he clears the front of the net. He has the size for it, but he's a phenomenal skater and he can actually do things with the puck on his stick. Going into his draft year, though, the issue was wasn't using his talents very well uh, when the puck was on his stick. So the thing I always noticed uh, going into the draft was that he would take the puck away against a rushing attacker. And uh, he'd immediately give the puck right back when he's, like, launching a pass forward or uh, trying to skate the puck out because the dangles just wouldn't work. And they, they they didn't work in junior, and they certainly don't project very well uh, for the pros. But the issue with him was just learning when to do what with the puck. It wasn't that he isn't able to be very good in transition, even offensively it was just he did not pick his moments very well and that decision making improved a lot this season from what i saw uh he um was a lot smarter so he, his trans- his transition defense was still phenomenal and fun to watch but he was a lot smarter in picking his moments of when to go end to end with the puck because he has the skating to do it um and his passing improved from what I saw. Again, it was a very limited sample if you combine World Juniors with three games in Laval and two games in WHL, but his decision-making just looked a lot better, uh, which bodes very, very well. Um, and, yeah, so I, I, I think there's a really good chance that um, that he is indeed the captain for the World Junior team because he's, A, a very good defenseman, and... Uh, Especially in this, this will be his final his final season on the World Junior Team, and he is going to be a big factor, right? Like he he's going to play tough minutes, big minutes. He's going to have a big role, uh, and he's already demonstrated himself as a leader. And his leadership capabilities have drawn many comparisons to a certain Shea Weber. Um, and again, Shea Weber comparisons. Um, you should always take with a grain of salt because Shea Weber is a one-of-a-kind defenseman. But in terms of leadership capabilities and demeanor, he does remind me a lot of Shea Weber. He has that same like stern um, and very serious personality, and he has that deep desire to win. And it really is very rem- reminiscent of Shea Weber. Uh, so I think those comparisons are apt. In terms of on-ice play, they're very different players, though. Um, like, Caden Gooley has a decent shot from the point, and he, 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 can, he, can, he can score, but he'll score more, more of his goals not from a slap shot from the blue line, but, uh, like, joining the rush and getting a snapshot off from the hash marks. 
Um, he'll score a lot, a lot more that way than from the blue line because he just doesn't have the the trademarked Weber bomb because uh, no one really does. But um, Weber, yeah, like in the offensive zone, very different players. Um, like I wouldn't necessarily give Gooley any like like much power play time in the NHL unless a lot develops in his game. But uh, and then, and then def- on the defensive side of, side of things, it's interesting because they have almost opposite strengths like Shea Weber wasn't necessarily the most active at least in his time in Montreal I can't I can't really speak to how he was in Nashville I'm a bit too young for that but in his Montreal time he was a bit he could, he could be a little bit passive against the rush but not in a bad way more he'd, he'd push play to the outside and like like uh, extinguish the fire there rather than trying rather than being very aggressive at the blue line like Caden Cooley is he's an, he's, he's an extremely aggressive defender um, and just very different style of play to Shea Weber but the, the the in terms of like personality I really do think that that, that the comparison to Shea Weber is apt and another defenseman I, I wanted to touch on in this segment is Jordan Harris who uh was a third round pick in I believe 2018 um, and he is now entering his final season in the NCAA with Northeastern the same team that Caden um, uh, Primo was pl- played for and that uh, Jane Stribble also plays for now so lots of Habs connections there and there were some worries that um, when he didn't sign an NHL deal his ELC uh, in, in the offseason that he wanted to sign for a different team um, because, again, he, he's, a, he's a Boston native, right? So there, 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 there are some worries about that uh, in the media, but I, I never really stressed out about that because every single person that knows Jordan Harris speaks extremely highly of his character and loyalty, and I just never envisioned him, like pulling that kind of a thing, of forcing his way out by just not refusing to sign a contract with the Habs. And uh, then uh, there was an article, like an interview came out with uh, TV Aspar, and yep, so so <laughs> uh, Jordan Harris plans on signing with Montreal once he finishes his degree, and he just wanted to finish his, de- his degree. And um, you have to respect that, right? Like, I'm going off to university now in the fall, and I mean... I can totally see if you put three years into that degree that you also want to see it through, you know? You, you don't want to just abandon it when you're halfway or three-quarters three of the way there. And, um, yeah, he, he's he's also a really fun player because he, he's always described as, a, as an all-around player, but it's not that he isn't great at anything and just does well in, every in like, every area. He's just he's really good at everything. Like, he's an amazing skater. Um, just like Caden Gooley, uh, he's smaller, but amazing skater. He, um, he, <laughs> he's really smart defensively. Like his positioning is always on point. Again, it's against the, it's in the NCAA. It's not the strongest division. Uh, he's in hockey East, but his positioning is always phenomenal. He can play a big role in the PK because he's just, he's an extremely smart player. And uh, he can all. He's also shown offensive ability. Like he, he worked tremendously on his shot in the last off season. Like it wasn't much of a factor previously, but now it's a, it's a weapon in the NCAA. So doesn't necessarily translate to the NHL, but it's really good 
uh, for his current level. And he's an offensive threat. He's a good playmaker. He's good in transition because uh, he's a great skater and he knows what to do with the puck. He's selfless. He's a good teammate. He, he, he really, he really strikes me as like when he hits his peak as like the perfect second pairing defenseman. Like you're never gonna want to speak a, like a bad word about him. Like he's always doing the right things. I don't know if he has that like standout ability. Uh, to really forge a top pairing role, um, but I really I, I'm a big believer. I'm a really big believer in Jordan Harris, and I I could I could see him forging an NHL spot next season. I think this season he if he signed his his contract he he could have also forged a spot on the bottom pairing with Alex Romanov or David Savard or Ben Sherrod or whoever because. He's a left defenseman, but he can play both sides. He's been playing on the right side a lot uh, at Northeastern. And he's he's also a really fun player to watch because he rarely makes mistakes. He's really smart. He skates great. He has offensive abilities. Again, just a really, really good prospect. And the fact that Montreal, that, that he's going to sign in Montreal, as he, he stated in an interview, is great news for the team because he is a really high quality like like a, a B plus plus prospect. I wouldn't necessarily put him in the A category, but he's like a as good of as a of a B prospect as you can get. And um yeah, he's he's a fun player and I I look forward to seeing what he does at Northeastern this season because he, he already dominated uh as a junior, so as a senior, it could be really fun to watch. Uh and Maybe he might even get some some time on a pairing with Jaden Struble, which would be amazing for Habs fans. Uh, and I I really if he if he has that like an, another breakout campaign, I would put money on him earning a spot on the in the starting lineup with the Habs next season because he's a he's a really good player. All right, so thanks a bunch, uh, Sebastian. That was really awesome, uh, Scott. Uh, let's. Uh... Let's continue on uh, the, pro- the the topic of uh, prospects because, I mean, it's your segment, buddy. And I know that you want to talk about um, Matthias Norlander, first and foremost, who has made uh, a lot of waves across uh, social media, Twitter, especially on his uh, offensive prowess uh, that's uh, happening over in the Swedish league, right? Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of the nice things that actually comes from sort of the slowdown of the off season or any off season when the dust kind of settles and things are kind of going by at like a pretty leisurely pace it allows a lot of prospects to kind of slip through the cracks and kind of come into people's radar and become a lot more well known and Norlander is yeah. one such player I think he's a really talented defenseman in all honesty and he's a very talented two-way defenseman and he's playing for a very talented team in the Swedish uh, hockey league in Frölunda HC who has a number of former NHLs on it I've said this before and I'll say it again if there are any prospect who can hold their own playing on a team with a bunch of former NHLers or very talented professional players, that's a very, very good sign in regard to their development. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Tim Stutzel, who play, who is actually a near point per game player in a men's league playing in Germany. And it kind of points to the fact of how good these guys can be. No one's just playing for guys like Stefan Elliott, who is a former defensive for the Colorado Avalanche, Joel Lundqvist, who's the brother of, uh, who is the brother of Henrik Lundqvist, and even uh, Lucas Raymond, a former fourth overall pick of the Detroit Red Wings, and even former Habs player Max 
three very good play two years for the St. John's Icecaps. Now, what most people are uh, making note of with Nolander at the moment is his offensive abilities. But in my opinion, I see him more as a two-way defenseman with some offensive upside. He's just been having a really good playoff as his, as his, as his uh, Frontland team has continued on into these playoffs. I think he'll definitely be an interesting add for the Canadians at training camp next year. And he'll be a player who I think it surprised a lot of people kind of like what happened to Victor Mette. He's definitely has his upsides, but because he was a third round pick, most people have kind of left him to the wayside for now as guys like kind of like Sean Farrell have and other similar players. But I definitely think no wonder is worth a look for so many people as he's going into this team's training camp. He's been touted as a, as a high, as a high prospect for a little bit now. And, uh, and like, it seems that everyone is pretty excited. And I agree with what you're saying. The fact that we're in a little bit of a lull so far, this off season gives us the opportunity to see, you know, Hey, like this guy's playing and then we're seeing this and, you know, it's all pretty good. Cause not everyone is, is up watching, you know, the Olympics or tennis for that matter. Do you think, however, that Norlander can actually cause a surprise and maybe make a jump to the NHL right away? Or is it way too early to, to even consider that option? I think anything can happen, honestly. And being 21 years old and having this experience and playing with a lot of veteran guys who have obviously helped with his development, I definitely think anything's possible. And I definitely feel like he'll be a player who will look to make an impact at the Canadian training camp. There's been a few articles that have been published talking about how excited he is to get his first contract and his first chance to play in North America. And I definitely think there's a kid who just wants to play hockey and he's willing to do that in any role or any situation. And while I don't think he, I could see him making Montreal's lineup in a significant way, I could totally see him being a seventh defenseman or an occasional third player an option if he did make it out of training camp and yeah i definitely think the Cavs would give him some minutes here and there i think i, I think you know if, if we could expand on that a little bit uh do you think it's a fair comparison if we were to add alexander uh, romanov into the mix because he's also a 21 year old who jumps straight from the khl into the nhl and and we saw this this is a guy you know that right now yeah sure give him six seven defenseman minutes but he can make an impact suit like pretty quickly as well oh yeah totally i feel like romanov wasn't given uh, the, the host of opportunities he might have deserved at times, like when he was scratched so much in the playoffs in spite of playing fairly well. And while guys like John Merrill and Eric Gustafson struggled on and off on the third pairing. But yeah, I totally could definitely, see, I definitely see Norlander as being kind of a Romanov type. It's just that Romanov brought this electricity to the lineup with his physicality and also his awareness. He has very, very good awareness for a player his age. Like he sees the ice unbelievably well, which can be sort of pointed to the larger ice service he was used to playing on as well. Like KHL and sort of European ice can kind of present issues with players down the line and getting used to the smaller ice service. It allows for players to develop better vision because there's a lot more of the ice to see and you get a better vision, uh, sense of where guys are around the ice and things like that. I absolutely agree. And on that note, I think we should talk about other prospects um, that, um, well, they're not as a, uh, as much as of note, in some cases, it's a, it's a situation where, well, buddy, you deserve to be there. But we're going to take the advantage of the fact that it's, you know, we have we don't have a lot of news uh, going on. And we're going to dwell a little bit into unsigned prospects. Um, and I know, uh, Josh, you would love to uh, to get in on this because you uh, have a little bit of insight on that. Now, the um, it's been announced that the Habs lost the rights to Yoni Ikonen, Jacob Laguerre, and Kieran Wyshensky. And that next summer, we, uh, unless they're signed, of course, you have the chances of losing the rights to Jacob Olofsson, Jack Gorniak, Brett Stapley, and this is the big name out of the bunch, Jordan Harris. So, Scott, maybe start by, ta- by, by going us through this whole process as to why did they not receive an offer, or at least an AHL contract for that matter, but like now we just, you know, we just, the, the team decided, you know what, you're not good enough. We're letting you go. Why does that happen in this case, despite being drafted? 
think it's just a case of other players coming through the ranks and the Habs looking at other players more over certain other players. And then when things kind of come the time to decide who's going to be resigned and who's going to be given a chance, the Habs just decide to let some people go. I mean, that's just professional hockey at the end of the day. And there's some guys who just aren't going to make the cut. I do think Iconen is a specific case because for a while there was a lot of hype surrounding him and the Habs were actually sort of, well, Habs media was kind of pushing this, this guy. Yeah, I, th- I thought he was, he was pretty hyped up. Yeah, he was. He was a point per game player last. Well, he was a point per game player in 2018-19 in the SM Liga with Kalpa Kuopio. He had uh, 10 points in 13 games, so a near point per game player. But he didn't play at all in 2019-20. And then he struggled a lot in 2020-21. And I feel like a really fair comparison to make for Ikenen is uh, Tim Bozon, who was a former Habs prospect for a very brief time and right. the son of Philip Bozon, yeah. who many people consider to be one of the greatest players France ever produced. Bozon had had some really good starts at times in junior, but he did with so many injuries that eventually it just wound up degrading his game to a point where the Canadians decided to let him go. He's still bouncing around in Switzerland to this day, but I feel like I can probably fit into a similar bill. Josh, you, um, I just want, I just want to um, get your, your opinion on this because I think you mentioned at, at one point that you were, you were kind of shocked that the Canadians didn't uh, offer him a contract. Is that, is that correct? Kind of, yeah. Like I was surprised when I saw the list, mostly because I knew who he was. I gonna, I'm, I'll admit I'm not a big prospect a guy. I'm getting more into it with this. <laughs> I was like, oh, I recognize that name, but then I start looking into it. He is, he's a point per game player, pretty much everywhere that he plays in Finland. Um, and then he got knee injuries. He got two straight knee injuries that basically knocked him out two straight years so kind of think Noah Juleson when he got knocked out for two years from pucks to the head but this could be worse with the knees it affects skating it it just trickles down and then his last season in in Finland with his new team Ilves I'm sorry I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right Uh, (laughs) Ilves yeah uh, 23 games only five points and he was still dealing with those knee injuries so I could definitely see why they let him go the injuries just make it too big of a risk unfortunately for his higher offensive upside now another guy that's that's definitely jumping out of this list is Jordan Harris I know there, there's been, you know, speculation about whether or not he, he wants to sign. Uh, he did now, you know, he, apparently he came out. I didn't see the, uh, the interview myself. Uh, Scott, maybe you could uh, jump in and correct me on this. Apparently he did come out and say, I do want to play in the NHL. I do want to sign. I'm just concentrating on my studies right now. This is another big two-way defenseman. I mean, this is a guy who next year is going to be captain for the Northeastern University. Um, and, you know, again, another guy who's 21 years old, you know, so it seems that, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's just a, a situation where, you know, I mean, he was drafted in the third round in 2018, if I remember correctly. And uh, maybe it's just a situation where he's just a little slower to uh, Josh's nodding. Yes, yes, yes. And <laughs> maybe it's just a situation where he's just taking more time to develop. But I mean, what's the story on, on Harris? And I'd like to know also, Scott, like what's your, what's your opinion on this, on this young man? I think Jordan Harris is a super talented player. And I feel like he's a very, very talented offensive defenseman. And he's definitely come out of the cracks as kind of a surprising player for Montreal. He's picked up his numbers every single year. He's played in Northeastern, starting with just 13 points for 39 games, to now having 19 points in 19 games this past season. And I think he's definitely a great captain or captaincy material for that team. 
the North, the Northeastern team doesn't really have as many big NHL prospects, at least at the moment, as compared to certain other teams in the NCAA. So it's definitely, I feel like to have a guy like that who has some definite NHL potential would be a really good move. Not to mention, he's also playing with Jaden Strubble and uh, the have second round pick on the first pairing, which is also pretty cool to see sort of those two guys playing alongside each other. And regarding what you said about him wanting to uh, sort of stay for another year and complete his studies as was supported by the Journal de Montréal, I, I can definitely agree with that. And I do think that's probably what's best for his career because it seems, definitely seems like Harris is the kind of guy who is looking into maybe other things beyond the NHL. He does want to play in the NHL, but he's also realizing that that's not his main focus, maybe his main interest. Maybe he wants to complete his studies and actually realize that when his initial career eventually ends or if things come out rather quickly, he wants to have a fallback option. There's been a lot of uh, cases in NHL history of this happening with guys who were late round picks or guys who weren't given as good a shot. And yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I can understand what Harris did in that case. And uh, Josh, uh, you recognize that name, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, well, I was just more saying, yes, he was picked 79th overall, sorry, 71st overall, third round 2018. Yeah, he's done well offensively everywhere that he goes. He currently last year with Northeastern scored 19 points in 19 games. So that's very good. But I'm wondering if he doesn't work out should we be worried about the defensive prospects because we lost we lost to pretty not like a-list names but kale flurry and noel Julson for nothing this year should we be worried about missing more guys and their impact i feel like kale flurry and noel Julson were ancillary players for the canadians and i know i'm probably gonna get a lot of blasphemy and kind of pitchforks and flaming torches and all that for saying that because I know there's a lot of Canadians fans who really liked Kale Fleury and Noah Jolson but they were both players who just didn't really pan out for Montreal and they're going to find better options of better teams. Kale Fleury playing with his brother Hayden now in Seattle and Noah Jolson hoping to continue to prove himself as the first round pick that the Canadians originally envisioned him to be. So I definitely think that while they should worry about some of the prospects they might be losing, the Canadians have a way of that they will keep building, that they've been building for free agency over the last little while. And they're really set with guys like Ben Shura and Joel Edmondson, I think, for the next for the next foreseeable future. I think at the same time, it's also very circumstantial, the fact that we lost Wolf Fleury and uh, Jolson. Because you got to remember, first off, Noah Jolson, uh, he had that eye injury. Um, you know, mixed with concussions and, and stuff like that. So, like, we didn't even know if he was even going to come back to the NHL for that matter. And then the Habs just took the risk of put, placing him on waivers because they didn't have a choice. They had to make a roster spot. And, you know, that risk didn't pan out. But, you know, in his case, you'd be like, you know what, buddy, congratulations. You found the team. Hopefully you get, you know, a, uh, um, a good career. And in the case of Kale Fleury, I think that um, – and, Scott, feel free to disagree with me if you, if, if you feel like it. I think – I don't want to blame DNA for this, but I mean, he's very similar to his brother Hayden because when Hayden got drafted by the Carolina Hurricanes, he was touted as a very high prospect. You know, I say like, this is the guy who's going to be in our top two on the left side. You know, he's going to be incredible and everything. And then he kind of just floundered around a little bit, you know, and he was in kind of that same class as Julien Gauthier, for example, you know, who everyone thought, yeah, you're going to be the next big power forward. And next thing you know, now he's playing for the Rangers, maybe reuniting him reuniting the brothers together will you know maybe elevate them to the next level but i don't know i wasn't too worried when we, we i like clay kill flurry but i don't think his ceiling was that high for that matter you know i think it was a six or seven defenseman at, at best right well canadians well i think the reason why so many canadians fans grew to like flurry was his like roman off his big hits 
The guy definitely had a penchant for those big shots, and he definitely had a physicality to his game. Oh, yeah, we love but he that. also only scored one goal over 41 games with us, which is partly probably contributes to the reason why he was ultimately sent down. I know he was a player that Joel Bouchard absolutely loved when he was with the Laval Rocket, and he kind of fit into that Jake Evans bill of just being a hardworking guy who didn't who just showed up to practice every day and did the same exact things every single night. But I do feel like that Hayden Flurry has a lot more riding on his stint in Seattle than his brother does, because being a former seventh overall pick definitely comes with a lot more expectations than Kale has. And I hopefully what I'm hoping for is that the two can play off of each other and make the other better in the process. The one other thing I would like to talk about, Scott, if you don't mind, um, is the sudden invitation to the, to the development camp of goaltender Alexi Gravel. Now, everyone got kind of caught by surprise, probably because we were talking about earlier how there is no news going on right now, uh, aside from those ridiculous Alex Galchenyuk rumors, which we'll cover a little later, and that Elias mentioned as well uh, during uh-huh. his, uh, his segment. But uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Hey, you know, we're all flexible. We could change the show any way yeah. we want, guys. <laughs> but Alexi Gravel, I mean, I had to Google him because I was – probably part of the millions and millions of, of Habs fans who were going, who? And, you know, uh, I'm on Hockey DB right now. And I see Alexi Gravel is a goaltender born in Asbestos PQ, PQ, Quebec. Uh, he's 21 years old. He's 6'3", 219. Uh, he was a six-round pick, um, 162 overall for the Chicago Blackhawks in 2018. And he's got typical goaltender stats for the Q. And typical as in high three GAA, uh, percentage under nine. Um, I mean, is this? I'm spitballing here, Scott. I mean, is this actually newsworthy? Or hey, you never know. Maybe this is someone who could, who could actually is is who actually does have the talent and is given a second chance. Being like, the floor is yours, my friend. Maybe you can make it into the number one goaltender for the Lions, or maybe he'll he'll squeak his way through the Rockets lineup. I mean, what do you what do you think? Well, that's exactly what it is. It's a chance. That's what the Habs are giving. They're just giving him an opportunity to, hey, showcase yourself. And to be fair, Gravel has some potential. I mean, he took the Halifax Mooseheads on a, on a Memorial Cup run in 2018-19. Uh, His numbers have dipped a lot because the Mooseheads have kind of died offensively after four, after former second-round pick uh, Raphael Lavoie went over to the Edmonton Oilers who drafted him. And he was kind of who they lived or died by offensively. But Montreal has actually had some experience with inviting guys to training camp who would go on to do big things in junior and eventually get drafted themselves. Uh, a player that I actually wrote about a long time ago was Evgeny Uksinchuk, who was a very obscure invite to the Canes development camp around two years ago. He was a Belarusian player who had only played in, the, in Belarus's leagues and had never really made a junior debut. Well, after the development camp, he got drafted in the OHL import draft, put up 78 points in 58 games with the uh, Flint Firebirds playing alongside Ty Andrea, and got himself drafted by the Dallas Stars. So, yeah, I feel like while Gravel is not exactly a newsworthy development, I mean, Montreal has invited countless upon countless guys to the development camp in the past. For my obscure reference of the day, Google Alexandre Goulet to get your information about that. But I definitely think that Gravel is an interesting addition. And maybe, maybe who knows, maybe the Canadians will offer him an uh, AHL contract. But what I do think is a very good possibility I think Gravel is a very likely signing by the Toronto Bay Lyon just because of where he's from. And I feel like the Lyon would definitely be like, hey, we'll give you the backup goalie position. You can play behind Kevin Poulet and we'll see how things go from there. So I definitely think that could be an option. Now I'm, um, I'm going into uncharted territory here. And normally this is something that Maria would help us with on research, but she's also gone on vacation this week. Um, on top of your head, and Josh, if, if you know this, I mean, more power to you. Has there been a situation where 
we've had a random invite like that who's cracked the NHL roster. On top of your head, do you remember anyone? Oh, man. Wow, that's a... <laughs> It's really racking my memory there, Patrick. God, I don't think so. Huh? I mean, I, I mean, there might I mean, be. I mean, unless you're talking about like Happy Gilmore, like any sports movies. Like oh that, well, I mean. come on, <laughs> legendary for that matter, right? But yeah, no, no worries. But we'll. Uh, I mean, I mean, if you go back to the 1950s, obviously, but <laughs> maybe, yeah. Well, there was a certain number ten, uh, number nine, uh, for that matter, who uh, who was an invite uh, at some point. Yeah. Well, during the NHL's war era, half the teams were literally just <laughs> tryout guys. That's the thing. Is everyone exactly factory workers who would walk in and say, "You could play. Come on, let's do this." You know. Oh, that's totally how it went, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, thank you very much uh, for this segment. Uh, Josh, thank you so very much for actually pitching in and uh, the absence of uh, Sebastian. And that has been this um, another outstanding segment of the Prospect Heroes. And now, this is the part where normally our good friend Elias Laradi, our insider for Puck and Roll, normally comes in and starts talking about news and rumors and whatnot. But unfortunately, Elias is not with us right now. However, he did submit, just like Sebastian, um, a little pre-recorded segment. Uh, we have agreed on a new title for this uh, upcoming segment. This is going to be called The Habs Blitz from now on with Elias Laradi. So here's what Elias has uh, this week in terms of news and rumors for the Montreal Canadiens. This is The Habs Blitz with Elias Laradi. And uh, thank you, Patrick, for that amazing introduction. You know, I kind of like the name, the Habs Blitz. You know, I'm kind of coming at you with pressure. But first of all, I'd like to give a big, big shout-out to my dear friend, Chanelle Marie. She's the one who voiced the intro. You know, she, she's been a good friend of mine. She goes to Concordia. She's in radio. So I really feel like uh, she was a big help for me for this one. And uh, now for the news of the day, uh, we have Michael McNiven, who actually avoided arbitration. He's, his recent contract was at 700000 now he officially got 750000 But the big deal about this is that he actually got 110000 in guaranteed money. And I really think that was one of the main issues why he went to arbitration. He wanted to make sure that this year the man got paid. And did he get, get paid? I don't know if uh, if an arbitrator was going to give him you know, any, any more money. You know, maybe consider him less. But the fact that he got basically, he went to arbitration for a 50K bump, you know, I... We talked about this on the show last week. I didn't really see much sense of this. You know, he was averaging 700K the last five, six years. You know, if he got to maybe eight, nine, maybe, but for only an extra 50K, that raises a lot of questions. Um, another news that's been circling around, which really ended up meaning nothing, was Alex Galchenyuk. Uh, there was a lot of rumors on social media. A lot of people, you know, creating fake buzz that, oh, he's going to come back to Montreal. He's going to re-sign. You know, there was even someone who tweeted, but it wasn't a verified uh, Twitter account of a media person saying that apparently he was supposed to be in Montreal today to sign a new contract to come back to the team. Now, honestly, um, I, I, it was a fake noise. You know, it wasn't legit. You know, we were waiting for, for verified sources to confirm this, but it was never actually confirmed. And it was a lot of people saying, hey, you know, you should come back, you should come back. If I can give my personal two cents as to what I think, I think, honestly, ever since Galchenyuk's been left Montreal, it's been kind of a, a downward spiral. You know, he's gone from team to team to team. He went from Montreal to Arizona to uh, Pittsburgh to Minnesota. Then he spent, you know, he finished the year in Toronto last year. He was uh, famous for giving that pass to uh, 
Cole Caulfield, who picked him off in, uh, in to force uh, Game 6 against Toronto in Toronto. So, I mean, honestly, my personal opinion, I really didn't see a fit from him on his team. He's kind of, uh, you know, more 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 negative than, than positive, I feel. And, you know, he's one of those players that's just been going around the league looking, you know, to refine, you know, his magic. But I think, honestly, uh, he he hasn't really found it lately. And, you know, his numbers would agree. And I'm sure everyone on this uh, on this podcast would, uh, would agree with me that he's not a good fit. But uh, that's your news for uh, this week. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you guys next week. All right. Thanks a bunch, Elias. So, uh, guys, Scott and Josh, who are still with us. Um, okay. You know what? I mean, uh, I think Alex Galchenyuk is kind of a non-story. Uh, you know, we've last week we 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 we've, we've spoken in depth about the fourth line and the the amount of depth and everything that this team has. Galchenyuk and, is the fifth line. Six even for the, <laughs> the amount, with the amount of players that we have, and for all we know, like Scott made a, a great comment earlier saying like yeah, he'll probably sign in Germany for all we know, right? So oh. yeah, exactly. So I mean, like, no disrespect to Chucky, but I mean, I've ever I've ever talked about Nikita Gusev? Uh, I I don't. So <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've decided, you know what? We're gonna have a little bit of fun with this segment especially since you know uh it's only uh scott josh and i uh we were talking and well we talk a lot because like this is what's great about this show is that you can come in with a plan and the next thing you know the police plans go straight out the window and we don't follow the script at all because there isn't any script you know like okay well we'll plan a little bit ahead as to what kind of topic we we're going to talk about we try and time it you know so we don't start talking for like six straight hours and everything but then we were kind of talking about the wonderful two words that you hear in all walks of life. And that's what if, what if, you know, what if I went out with this person or what if I hadn't taken this job or what if I moved to this place? But when it comes to hockey, there's a lot of what ifs. And um, Scott was the one who actually uh, mentioned this. And then Joshua was all over this and being like, Oh my goodness. Like we could talk about this for like the next three days. Uh, what if, Back in 2010, now I know some of you might not remember, you know, you can always Google it, but bear with me here. In in June 2010, Yaroslav Halak, back then playing for the Montreal Canadiens, of course, was traded to the St. Louis Blues for two young prospects. Now, these prospects were um, uh, winger Ian Schultz and sentiment Lars Eller, who at the time, was say, oh, he might be ready for next season. Now, uh, Pierre Gauthier was the general uh, manager, the one that we lovably call the ghost. And he called it, uh, I got. I actually uh, managed to pop up an old article from the Canadian press, and I'm quoting here, that he called it a big picture decision, which the team scouts and managers opted for the long-term potential of the 22-year-old price, the fifth overall draft pick of 2005 over the more immediate success from the 25 year old Halak. Now, remember this was the spring of Halak, all right, where he literally robbed everyone left, right, and center and everything. everything. And I am glad to say that I was there that game where he did 
I don't know, 5,000 saves or something against Ovechkin and the, and the Capitals. And it was probably, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life being able to see three playoff games. It was shout out to my dad for that one, because he's the one who brought me now. I'm, I'm reading again, directly from the article and they say, it's a shame, a nightmare, and April Fools in June were among the comments posted on one website. And this is a this is a funny one, considering that as we're recording, there was actually a notification on our phones that went off saying that we're actually going to go uh, up for elections in September. In the House of Commons in Ottawa, Liberal MP Justin Trudeau said, "What halak for two hockey sticks and a bag of magic beans?" Again, shows how much this guy knows. But guys, I mean, this is a, it's kind of funny. It's it's. I remember how much controversy there was behind uh, that, um, that, that trade. So here's the what if. What if the Canadians had kept Yaroslav Halak and traded Carey Price instead? Now, granted, we probably would have gotten a huge haul in return trade-wise, but history will probably be completely different. And I'm seeing Scott jumping on the edge of his seat right now, being like, I want to go first. I want to go first. You want to go first, Scott? Sure. And I also wanted <laughs> to ahead. kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit and do like a Wayne's World back in time. With the doodly, doodly, doodly. And I wanted to go back to the 2005 NHL draft to kind of put things into a bit more perspective regarding price because the Euros have a lot of trade isn't the only part of the saga. It also goes back to when the Canadians drafted price on in the 2005 NHL interdraft. They picked him fifth overall. And as Samuel mentioned later, there was a bit of some backlash that came from that in the immediacy because at the time, the Canadians had Cristobal Huey, the Canadians had Jose Feder, and while they ultimately wouldn't have traded Jose Feder for David Abashir, which didn't really work out that well, they had a starting goalie at the time, so the question was, why did the Canadians draft Price when there was other options available? Which the also grand- which also begged the question for interrupting. A lot of pundits back then were like, you don't draft a goaltender that high, unless, <laughs> oh, thing, yeah. unless you know, he's the next, you know, Martin Brodard or whatever, because I don't think since Fleury has a goaltender been, traded, been drafted that high, right? We are remember Rick DiPietro, right? Yeah, that's true. The luckiest luckiest man on earth, along with Bobby Benilla. Yeah. (laughs) The thing is, the Canadians also could have gotten out of this okay if there wasn't a certain name that came after Price, because for the most part, the 2005 draft was a really bad draft. There weren't really a lot of guys who came out of that draft who were true game-breaking stars. Oh, no. Except well, except, except for except, a certain man named Anze Kopitar, who went. Well, yeah, and also all. this is the year Crosby went uh, went to Pittsburgh as well. Well, but after Price, I'm talking about players in terms of players selected after Carey Price. Well, listen, I'll I'll I'll, I'll jump in right away because like you were, the the guy right after was Gilbert Brule, who was supposed to be you know a huge player uh, back then. But like I'm seeing Jack Skilly, Devin Seraguchi, mm. Ryan Lee. Ugh. Luc Bourdon, and then oh, oh Anze, Anze Bourdon's Kopitar. an exception. Uh, it was an exception, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, um, Anze Kopitar, Mark, and don't Stahl. forget Mary Zag- Zagrapan, <laughs> Mary Zagrapan, ex- Sasha Pukaluk. So, yeah, yeah. again, you know, I Ryan, Omer, so like there's nothing except even Martin Hansel, who was a good player, but like he was you know a third liner at the yeah. most, Tuka Rask, TJ Oshi, and that's it. There was nothing in this draft, man. Well, and also the thing also to also talk about Tuka Rask is that the team who drafted and gave him away for Andrew Raycroft, so you can kind of figure out which trade is the is the worst one <laughs> when you're kind of looking back in uh, retrospect. But the thing also like the thing about the Canadians that is just important to mention in regard to their decision to draft price. And again, I'm probably going to get flamed for saying all of this because price is kind of held in almost how would you say uh, almost like a biblical sense here in Montreal, where he's kind of held as this kind of figure who's 
been very helpful to the team in terms of their fans, at least. Oh, yeah, the he's Canes, our Jesus for sure. Yeah, well, the Canes have had a lot of really talented goalies who have come through and during Price's time, like Halak and Huey and Fedor. So I think the question I always wonder to myself, and I've wondered this in thinking back in the 2005 draft, is that if the Habs had a drafted Price, who would be our starting goalie now? Would Halak still be here? Would Huey still be here? Would That's the thing I always kind of wonder at the, in the immediacy of it is because Price went through a really rough stretch when Halak came here in Montreal and when he really put, went on that magical playoff run. And for a while, it looked like that Price was never really going to get out of those growing pains. While he did eventually, he unfortunately fell right back into them. And now it's kind of been an on and off battle. But okay, I, definitely think that, uh, I definitely think that Halak was kind of the one that got away from the Canadians, especially when you consider the fact of who they got in return and how Eller never really worked out. Yeah, Lars Eller, unfortunately, absolutely hated playing here. So, I mean, that was, you know, that was unfortunate despite him. Like, today, he's a very respected, you know. Um, and a very respectable player. Very and a very respectable player, player exactly, in, in the same mold as Philippe Deneau. You know, he's like same kind of player, so to speak. But now they, we, yeah, we can go back and, I, I love going back in old drafts being like, oh, man, we could have drafted him, we could have drafted there, da-da-da, because, again, we're talking about 2005, and I'm scrolling down the list, and Christopher Latau was drafted in, in the third round. So, I mean, like the Pittsburgh got Crosby and Latin in the same damn draft. Oh, I mean, and uh, don't forget, I believe it was, yes, Patrick Hornquist was the last pick in this draft. Patrick Hornquist, yeah, was the last was one. Was the very last pick in this draft. Montreal, right after Montreal drafted. So. Montreal drafted Sergei Kostitsin in that round as well. Yes. So, I mean, that was, that was pretty cool. But the big question was uh, that we start when we started this segment is okay, now let's forget about the draft. Everything happened as it should have happened. But now we're in 2010. It's the summer. You know, Halak just stole the show all, all spring. Brought the Kenyans to the conference finals along, you know, uh, ironically enough, with Jacques Martin as our coach playing a very defensive system. And which, you know, it sounds kind of familiar to what we just went through this, this past offseason. And now there was this big question. Oh, okay. Now do we need to trade Price? Do we trade Halak? Ta, 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 ta. Josh... You're a general manager of the Canadians. You're sitting there. You got those two boys in front of you. What do you do? Uh, it's so hard because that playoff run is so good. That Halak goes on. It's the numbers officially that year were nine two three save percentage, two point five five goals against. But if you're looking about the at the guys that he's going up against, he's going up against like prime Ovechkin, prime Crosby and Malkin, and he's shutting the door on these guys. And it it was I would it was like the year that I really got into hockey watching it with my dad late at night in Ontario, surrounded by Leafs fans, and we're watching the Habs destroy Washington and Pittsburgh, just eking by. So it's really hard to a very bad team up front, not a very great team aside from. Yeah. Uh, So it's really hard to, it's easy to go back and say, Oh, well, obviously you'd pick the heart trophy winner, but uh, back then it was really tough. And the biggest, what if like, we never would have guessed that price would have blossomed as well as he did and gotten that big $10 million contract. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so that's a lot of money that you get to play around with if you don't have price on the roster, but then there's a lot less great goaltending that you have to deal now, with. So, Josh, I mean, if you look at the roster itself in 10-11, in okay, that was the Brian Giunta was a captain. Looking at veterans, there was Hal Gill, 
you know, uh, Matthew Dash was still part of that team. Our backup goalie oh, ended God. up being, yeah. yeah, ended up being Alex Ald. Uh, Mike Camilleri was still around before he got the boot. You know, David Arne, Max Pacioretty. He got Andre. the boot mid-game. Yeah, exactly. It was oh, Whatever, it was terrible. Josh Georges was still among us and everything. Uh, Max Lapierre, Andrew Markov. And I'm looking at some of the youngsters. You know, we had a 23-year-old Carey Price, a 23-year-old Tom Pyatt. Remember him? Uh, PK somewhere. <laughs> yeah, PK was there. You know, he was 21 years old. Um, we had just brought in James Wisniewski as well. Uh, Georges was 26. You know, so like we still had like a relatively young team with a couple of veterans. I mean, I'm looking at this. It's like okay, aside from the goalies, it's very similar, very similar to what we have today, except we didn't have a lot of firepower up front. Now, this begs the question. I mean, you just had a red hot Yaroslav Halak. And you had Carey Price, who hasn't proved anything yet in the NHL, because even that year, he didn't have that great a year. But, you know, you can't really blame blame anyone for that matter, because we didn't have that great a team to begin with. But despite, you know, everything, uh, you know, like they played him for 72 games, still got 38 wins, you know, 235 GAA, 923 save percentage. I mean, it was still very, very respectable numbers, even you know, actually more than respectful numbers for that matter. But you trade Carey Price, let's say, because you know that despite Halak's sudden high value, you could trade him, right? I mean, I know I'm kind of, it sounds like I'm rambling, but I'm like, I'm trying to get to this point where his value was like ultra high at the time. And, you know, it's like, he, he was just one of the highest touted prospects in the league, regardless. I mean, I would have given, I, I, I honestly, at the time, without knowing what would happen, I would have traded him. Yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with you on that one, honestly, uh, Patrick, as as weird as that might sound. I yeah. think that Price was in a stage where a lot of NHL prospects are who get traded at some point. Like we can think to Leas Anderson in today's world where he's been bounced around teams like crazy. And you can even think to the current Jack Eichel situation where the Florida Buffalo, or the Florida Buffaloes, God, or the Buffalo Whoa! Sabres. Are, Buffalo's uh, moving. Scott has not announcing first. <laughs> the Buffalo Sabres are Florida. currently <laughs> holding Jack Eichel for ransom, essentially. And they're basically pinning him against the wall and saying that you want to act like this? Well, we're just not going to trade you. And I feel like the, that at the time, maybe Price was not in quite a to- as toxic a situation, but the important thing that a lot of people have to remember about this Canadian team that went on this run of Halak is that people think that this Canadian team has struggles on offense. Woo boy, you haven't seen Dominic Moore scoring the game-winning goal for your team off a pass from Hal Gill. And then, and, and then you can come speak to me about lack of firepower. I think that Canadian <laughs> team is definitely defined by those blue guys. So, Yeah, we call, Hal Gill, we call him the squid because he would just like lie down in front of the net and spread his legs They're, and arms. They were, they were what is known as up-and-over defensemen. Guys, yeah, their go. only move was up, up, up and off the glass. That was exactly. all they Exactly. So, um, I mean, this is the great thing about, you know, the what ifs, right? I mean, uh, what if, you know, like, like, what if Pittsburgh hadn't won the draft lottery that year? You know, what if Montreal would have would have won it and we would we would have drafted Sidney Crosby instead of Carey Price? Yes, yeah, everyone's kind of digesting that right now. Everyone's like, yeah. I mean, man, come on, it'll be amazing. But, you know, yeah, yeah. One of my also, favorite is, what ifs. Um one of my favorite what ifs before before you mentioned Tom Pyatt, the year before Montreal goes on this great run, Montreal acquires Tom Pyatt, 
Scott Gomez and Michael Busto, and they give up <laughs> Ryan McDonough along with other guys, Christopher Higgins, but McDonough oh. was the big one. And that one really stings when you learn about it. Guys, yeah. that should that should be another segment for another time about the Michael worst Michael Busto trades. was one heck of a player. <laughs> one heck of a player. It reminds me also of the time where we um, – Oh wait, Ryan McDonough. The, you're forgetting the, the the key player in that trade, the Alaskan sensation Scott Gomez. You know, had a was, great first season with us. At, uh, at eight million pesos a year, my friend, he was incredible. He had that one goal, I think, in two years. Uh, I remember a website; they were counting down the days between his goals. Yes. <laughs> oh man, it was absolutely ridiculous. But it's you know the same the same thing can almost be said about the Sergachev trade, right? Let me was trade Dwayne for Sergachev, or Dwayne and a pick for that matter for Sergachev, and you know look. You know, it got kind of got shoved in her face in the finals this year. Um, okay. Well, I don't think Sergeyev can really hear what we're saying because the two Stanley Cup rings that have been plugged in his ears. So. I was actually just going to mention Patrick Waugh for that matter. I mean, like, and and for those and for those who don't who don't know about this, Patrick Waugh uh, back when he was in Colorado, he was they were facing, I believe, the Blackhawks. Yep, Jeremy Ronick. And Jeremy Roenick, and Jeremy Roenick was, I don't know, Roenick being Roenick, you know, he, JR was actually, he was really well known for, you know, his controversial interviews and saying it how it was. And he was, you know, messing with Wa in the media. And then Wa was like, I have no idea what he said. I'm, I'm, my two ears are plugged with my Stanley Cup rings. So, um, but that was another trade. Right. I mean, again, Even another one of these what ifs forever. I mean, I, I saw an article, somebody talking about how the Habs could have drafted Brayden Point, And I say, yeah, show could all the other 79 teams who passed. On exactly. Kind of exactly. You know, speculation at that point. I would love to be able to like, maybe take some time at some point talking about the Patrick Watt trade, because like, not, especially now that we know that regardless of what would have happened, he was going to Colorado, no matter what, oh, because, totally. because before Seth Chaval got, got fired as general manager, he had a deal in place with Colorado uh, he, where he was trading Patrick Roy for Stéphane Fizet, Owen Nolan, and apparently like a couple of draft picks or something. So, and at the time, Owen Nolan was a huge star. He was like the prototypical power forward. And we swapped that for Andre Kovalenko. And Martin Rajinsky and Justin Tibo, and we gave Mike Keen on top of that. But you know what? That's all the time we have for now. <laughs> we can on that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell, uh, Scott and Joshua. Again, guys, thank you very much uh, for today's episode. That was really, really great. And again, a big shout out to Sam Mendelson uh, for joining us uh, during the show. Elias and Sebastian are here in spirit, sending us their pre-recorded segments. Guys, much appreciated. This is another awesome show. This was the Friday the 13th edition. I'm terrible at this, guys. I'm sorry. So <laughs> we will see you guys next week. We're going to have a lot more to talk about. You know, I mean, not because it's August and there's not much to talk about. There's always topics to talk about. See, we we're supposed to talk about Alex Galchenyuk. We're talking about Carey Price getting traded instead. You know, so you never know what can happen here on Puck and Roll. And this is the cool stuff. I'm Patrick Lorty. We will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.